wonderful. You know, it's wonderful to hear you sing, and it's wonderful to have us uh, kind of point our minds at saying, what does it look like to have a vision of, of God? What does it look like to have a vision of Christ? And that, that's really what we're going to talk about today. As we look at this maybe most misunderstood commandment of all of them, the, the fourth commandment, the commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In fact, as you stand, let's read from God's word together, Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, with that, let's stop and have a seat. And, you know, as you stop and have a seat, I, I, I've already mentioned this is maybe one of the, the most misunderstood and wrestled with of all of the commandments. And I think part of why it's wrestled with is because, because every one of us, we, we come to the weekend and I can't tell you how many times as I'm greeting people and talking to people, not even only on the weekend, but throughout the week as I'm talking to people, I say, hey, how are you doing? And, and so often people's response is, oh, I'm just, I'm so busy. Or Man, I'm just, I'm so tired. I mean, I know some of you guys in the room right now. Some of you, you're, you're working jobs. They just, they got you going all the time. Some of you are your, your, your moms, and I, I see what you go through week after week just dealing with the kids all day long. And so how natural is it for us to get to the weekend and, and do one of two things usually? We, we can get to the weekend, the end of the week, when we are tired and when we're busy, and we can look and say, oh man, it's, it's time for me to rest. It's time for me to put my feet up and maybe, maybe catch a few games and, and, you know, just do nothing at all and, and just, well, my Sabbath, is, it's all about me. Or some of us, instead of that, we say, you know, I am so busy throughout the week that by the time the weekend rolls around, by the time it, it's, it's that moment of weekend and that moment of Sabbath, well, I, honestly, I look at all the things that I haven't got done. Maybe I put extra hours in at work, and so I look at all the things that need to be done around the house, and so Sabbath for me is like, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to catch up on my chores at home. I'm going to do all these other things, right? And so we, we come, we come to Sabbath, and this isn't even talking about maybe what, what other churches might think about it. This isn't even talking about how sometimes there's a legalistic perspective of it. We say, what is this day actually all about? What is, what is the point of Sabbath? What does Sabbath do? And, and that's, that's what I want us to dig into together today. I want us to dig into it together, not only looking at what it meant for Israel when God first gave this command, but what it means for you today if you've trusted in Jesus and you're on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that remembering the Sabbath, here's what it does for you. When you remember the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, it renews your love for God's work. Now, it, it renews your love for God's work. I, I want to help you today to pull that out of the text. I want you to be able to open up your Bible and read from God's Word and see this is exactly what the Sabbath does. It's, yes, it's a day of rest, but more than that, 
It's meant to do something in your heart and in your mind when you think about God's work. And so let's, let's, let's jump in. Let's get to verse 8, and let's begin to wrestle with some of these questions, and let's begin to say, what is the point of Sabbath? What does it do? Why is this so important? But before we do that, we've got to define a few words. Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That word Sabbath, well, let's just start there. What does the word Sabbath mean? It actually, literally, it, it means stopping. It means to, to cease. It, it can be translated as, as a day of stoppage. It's, it's the idea that you, you, you hit the brakes. It's the idea that you stop doing what you've been doing the other six days, and now this day is a day of, of, of rest, yes, but, but really it's a day where you stop. And so we say, remember the stoppage. Remember the day when we stop. And then it says, to keep it holy. Now, some of us, we might be unfamiliar with that word Sabbath. Maybe we don't use it very often, or when we use it, we're not sure about what it really is referring to. But if you've been around church very long, there's a good chance you've used that word holy. We sing the word holy all the time. We say, God is holy. We say, you are to be holy. But you know what holy means? If I, were to, if I were to give you a little quiz right now, say, define the word holy, what would you say? Well, you know, God, God's holy. So, so, you know, God's holy, yeah, he is, but what does that mean? What does it mean for God to be holy? What does it mean for you to be holy? What does it mean for the Sabbath to be holy? The, the, the definition of holy is simple. It's to be set apart as pure for God's purposes. When something is holy, it's set apart, it's separated, it's not lumped in with everything else, it's set apart, and it's set apart as pure. It's got a quality about it, a quality that it is, it is pure, it is without blemish, it is without stain, it, it, is, it is aligned with God's character as pure. But, but not just pure so that it's set up on a shelf and dusted off once in a while, it's set apart as pure for God's purposes. And so when we're talking about this fourth commandment, when we say, remember the day of stopping to keep it holy, to keep it set apart as pure for God's purposes. That's what we're talking about when we're looking at this commandment. The Sabbath is a day that is set apart as pure for the purposes of God. Now, now for Israel, when they set apart a day as pure for the purposes of God, it it reminded them of some things. In fact, this is what, if you pull it out of the scripture, this is the, the journey we're on today. See, stopping, or Sabbath, stopping. Here's what it did for Israel. First of all, stopping reminded Israel that God is creator. When they stopped, they were reminded that God, he's the one that made everything. Look at the text again. Pick it up in verse 9 of Exodus 20. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Well, I'm, I'm going to time out for a second. Each of these commandments I felt like I could preach three or four sermons on, right? If I had an extra week to preach on Sabbath, it would be on this point right here. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. How many of us have bought into a 21st century uh, American cultural mindset that says, I work nine to five, Monday through Friday, and then once I'm off work, and then Saturday and Sunday... Well, that's my time. That's relaxing time. That's, that's leisure time. That's, that's free time. That's actually not the biblical model of work. 
The biblical model of work is six days you are, you are being productive. Six days you are pressing forward. Six days you are doing good for your community, for your home, for your church, for the world. Six days you are working. Now that's, that's another sermon. We can pick that up another day. But it continues, verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, a stopping to the Lord, your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Seven different categories of people are listed out to emphasize the seventh day. Six days of work, and on that seventh day, there is a stoppage for everyone. Verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's what the Sabbath is for Israel. It's a day of stopping. Why? It's a day of stopping because God is the one who made everything. This moment of stopping, it's tied to the, the acts of God, the wondrous works of God as the one who made everything. He made the heavens and the cosmos, the sun that burns and, and, and the farthest star, the moon that shines at night, and this very earth that we walk in from the highest mountain to the, the, the deepest depth of the sea. He's the one that made Israel. See, see, Israel, they would stop and they would remember that they're not the creator. That, that God is. And you and I, we're not too different from them in this. See, when you and I, when we stop, we stop and we remember that God is creator. See, when we do that, we remember God is unlimited. God didn't have to stop on the seventh day and rest. He, he did it as an example. He did it as an example for us, but but you and I, guess what? We have to stop and rest. Newsflash, you have limited resources. <laughs> Newsflash, you have limited energy. Some of you guys are like, amen, I know, right? I feel it. <laughs> By the time the night rolls around, I feel it. Some of us, we might be a little bit younger, and we feel like, I can go all day. I can keep going week after week. There will come a moment where you come to the end of yourself. You're limited in time. You're limited in energy. See, see, this, this limited nature of us, we're reminded of that when it comes to the Sabbath. See, when I think about Sabbath, when I think about stopping, I think about a nice comfy chair. Anybody have a nice comfy chair in their house? A place where they go when they want to relax and they want to rest? Now, I, I keep this in my office because I don't have kids and animals in my office, and so it's actually, I've had it for like 10 years, and so it's still in pretty good shape, right? I don't think it'd be the case if it were around my kids, but, but here's the deal. When it comes to Sabbath, when you stop, when you really stop, you don't do it so you can put your feet up and turn the game on. You don't do it so you can sit down and Turn the game on. You don't do it so you can read the latest fiction book that you're into. When you stop, when you rest, 
it reminds you of something. It reminds you that you need to rest because you are created. More than that, though, it reminds you to look past yourself to the one who created all things. Stopping and sitting. Here's what it does. Ultimately, it causes you to rise and give the one who made all things a standing ovation. Because it draws your mind to the Creator God. This is the point of Sabbath. It reminded Israel that God was Creator. It reminds you that God is Creator. It reminded Israel and you that they were limited and that we are limited. And in all that, it reminds us that as limited beings, we are dependent on God for all of His provision. See, when Israel rested, they remembered that God was still working. When Israel rested, they, it re- reminded them that everything they had was from God and His provision. From their intellect to their talents to any ability, God is creator. This is the first thing that Sabbath does. It reminds us of who God is as creator. But, but it's not the only thing that Sabbath reminds us of. See, secondly, stopping, stopping reminded Israel that God is redeemer. Not just that God is creator, but it reminded Israel that God is the one who saved them, who rescued them, and who redeemed them out of slavery. In fact, if you were to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, that that word Deuteronomy, you know what it means? Deuter means to, and onomy, like namas, it means law. So Deuteronomy actually is the second second giving of the law. That's what you have in Deuteronomy. You You have the review of the law of God before Moses passes the baton. And in Deuteronomy, when it lists out the Ten Commandments, when it talks about this fourth commandment, the Sabbath, listen to the explanation it gives. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is, this is a major theme in the Scripture. This is a major theme for Israel. Israel, when it came to Sabbath, when they stopped, they would stop and they would remember that God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, He reached down to them when they were enslaved in Egypt, and he brought them out of the land of slavery. This moment of remembering, this would lead their minds to think about the oppression, the hardship, the terror. When they were enslaved in Egypt, they were actually, there was a command that every male child born was to be executed When they were slaves in Egypt, the workload would increase and the benefits would decrease. When they were enslaved in Egypt, they were oppressed without liberty, without freedom, without even the freedom to worship the Lord their God. See, Sabbath for them, for Israel, when they stopped, it would force them to ask this question, where would I be if it wasn't for God my Redeemer? They'd have all these images of slavery flood back into their mind. 
Even for the the subsequent generations, they would have all of the stories of their their grandparents or their great-grandparents who said, this is what it was like for us in Egypt. This is the torment. This is the pain. This is the terror. They would stop and say, where would I be? I would be enslaved in Egypt. See, stopping reminded Israel that God is Redeemer. And once again, you're not too different from Israel, are you? Stopping, if you are in Christ, stopping reminds you. It reminds you that God is your Redeemer. One of the greatest passages that describe this, at least in my mind, comes from Paul's writing to the, the Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. I want to I give you a picture of, of Christ in his redeeming work for our lives. And I actually want to connect it to the law here. Look with me, Galatians chapter 4. Paul begins with a, an illustration. He says, I mean, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Here's what he says. He says, if, imagine being an heir, a child who is going to receive an inheritance, the entire estate, it's going to be yours. But that child, well, they're a child, they're no different than a slave. They have guardians and they have managers. These guardians and managers, they tell them where to go. They tell them what to do. They tell them how to behave. They, they don't have the freedom. They don't have the power. That They are, in a sense, they're, they're just like a slave. Paul uses this picture, and then he takes this picture, and he, he lays it upon you and upon me. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, the language he's using here, he's not saying when you were an eight-year-old. He's saying when you were, when you were outside of Christ, when you were disconnected from the grace and the redemption of Jesus, when you lived, when you were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, when, when you looked at the world and you said, well, they're acting with greed, I'm, I'm going to act with greed. They're being lustful, I'm going to be lustful. They're being selfish, I'm going to be selfish. They're looking out for number one, I'm going to look out for number one. This is the way we're trained to live as those who are led along by the elementary principles of the world. We were enslaved. We didn't give deep thought to it. We certainly did not give spiritual thought to it. We were unable to. This is, this is our position as those who were enslaved Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right moment, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that you might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. This is talking about our redemption. This is saying that before Christ, before just the right time, before God sent forth His Son, notice what it said, He sent forth His, forth his Son to be born 
under the law to do what? To redeem those who were under the law. It's talking about us. And this isn't just saying that you were under the law like you were forced to obey it. This is saying you were under the law what the law required. You were also under the law and what the law would punish for failure to comply. See, we've looked at this over and over again. The law of God, one of the very first things it does, the law of God, it points us to the gospel. There's not one of us that can read these Ten Commands and be like, yep, yep, yep. Yep, oh, I, I got it covered. I, I'm, I, I've done it all. I've got it all figured out. I'm perfect. I'm clean. All on my own. No, the law of God does the opposite. When you read the Ten Commandments, you say, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. And it gets worse and worse and worse where you realize that you are liable to the consequence and the punishment for failing. You were like that child. That child that is enslaved, but then Jesus came. God sent forth his son to be born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. How does Jesus redeem us? Is it a magic wand? He just kind of waves it over. He said, oh yeah, you're redeemed. No, he redeemed us. Why? How? By taking all of your sin by taking every single time that you had failed to keep the law, by taking every single time you have rebelled against God and his ways and his character, and he took all of it upon himself, and he carried it upon that cross, and he bled and he died, paying the price in full and cleansing you completely, completely, so that everyone who believes in his death and resurrection is made a child of God, is made a child and an heir, and, and the Spirit of God is actually placed within your heart so that now you come to God not in fear and worry, am I going to get in trouble because I broke the law? No, you come to God as a child with confidence, Abba, Father. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. See, the Sabbath, it reminded Israel that God is Redeemer, and the Sabbath that reminds you that God is a Redeemer. When you come to the Sabbath, when you come to the moment of stopping, and you do just this, when you stop, not, not just physically, you stop thinking about all the chores, stop thinking about all the pressures, stop thinking about everything that's coming at you, Stop thinking about the drama of family, of work. When, when you stop and you turn your attention, you, you have that day where you stop and you say, I have been redeemed. He's washed away all my sin. He, he's made me his own. I am in the family. I'm a child of God. When you sit, when you sit and remember that, what does it cause you to do? It causes you to, to to rise. Rise in what? In worship of God once again, giving God all of the praise and all of the honor because of what God has done. This is what Sabbath does. Stopping reminds us that God is creator. Stopping reminds us that God is redeemer. But, but let's keep going because stopping also it reminds us in Israel, it reminds us of God's covenant. Stopping reminded Israel of God's covenant, of God's agreement with them. 
Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And listen to verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. Look, look at these words. To the Lord, your God. To Yahweh, your Elohim. This is God once again using his covenantal name with his people. He's saying you no longer are connected with those pagan gods of Egypt. You're not to be connected with all of the pagan gods of Canaan. Instead, you are bound in covenant to your God, Yahweh, the Lord. This is a covenant. This is God's covenantal language. And this is a covenant. A covenant is a promise. And there are different kinds of covenants. There's covenants that are called bilateral. A bilateral covenant is when I make a promise and you make a promise and we're both expected to keep the promise and fulfill our covenant. So like when you, you know, when you, when you have business with someone, hey, I'm going to hire you to fix my roof. I will pay you this amount of money if you do this. That's a bilateral covenant. It's an agreement. There's also unilateral covenants, like when someone says, I promise to do this regardless of what you do. This covenant with Israel was bilateral. God says, if you obey, you will experience all of my blessings, and if you disobey, you'll experience all of my curses. This is, this is an incredible covenant, and so Israel, they're given, they're given this incredible promise by God, his blessing overflowing but they did not keep their end of the agreement. This is, this is what Ezekiel writes, Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verse 12. I don't think I have it on the screen, but, but, but listen then. It says, moreover, God, God's speaking through Ezekiel, moreover, moreover I gave them my Sabbaths as a, as a sign between me and them. The Sabbath day, is a, it is a sign reminding Israel of their covenant with Yahweh, that they are in covenant together. Why? That they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel, they rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths, they greatly profaned. So my, my, my Sabbaths. The, the day that I set apart for them to remember who I am in creation, the day that I set apart for them to remember who I am in redemption, the day that I set apart for them to remember who I am in the covenant we have made together, they have profaned them. They have, they have, they have disturbed them. They have soured them. They have ruined them. They have blasphemed them. They have taken what is meant to be a sign of this incredible promise between me and them, and they have thrown it in the trash. You see, stopping it was meant to be a reminder of God's covenant with Israel. But stopping also is a reminder of God's covenant with you. God's covenant with Israel, it was a, a bilateral covenant. I will do this if you do this. This is a, They both bring something to the table. Do you realize you were in covenant with God, though? In the covenant God made with you, it's not bilateral. <laughs> it's the best kind of covenant. The covenant that you and God have, it's called the unilateral covenant. It's where God simply says, I am going to do this. And then he did. Now let me show you what I mean. We, stopping for us reminds us of God's covenant. Let's listen to the covenant Jesus speaks about. This is Paul writing about the night Jesus was betrayed. This is Paul writing about the night when, when Jesus was, he was arrested 
and beaten and then taken outside the city limits and ultimately where he was crucified. Listen to what Jesus says in these, these sacred special moments with his disciples. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's symbolizing his body being broken as he breaks the bread. He's saying, Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You realize you, were, you have a different covenant now? Your covenant is not obey the Ten Commandments and live. Your covenant is Christ obeyed the Ten Commandments completely, and then he shed his blood to make a new covenant so that his perfect life is credited to your account and all of your sins have been paid for on his cross. This is the new covenant in my blood. This means in, instead of Instead of remembering the Sabbath, Christians, we remember the Savior. You hear Jesus' language here? Do this in remembrance of me. You see the parallel here? This, this is saying, instead of making our worship all about the right day and the right way and not doing the wrong things, instead of remembering the Sabbath, heap of holy, we remember the Savior who has made us holy. In fact, the scripture goes even further. The scripture goes even further in, in helping us understand how we're to think about Sabbath. Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 16 through 19. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So it says, let, let no one pass judgment on you in questions to the way you observe the Sabbath. He says, these things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by this sensuous mind, but not, and not holding fast to, to who? To the head, to Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, us, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. He says, don't let people pass judgment on you for your Sabbath observation. That's a shadow. That's the shadow of the thing to come. That's the shadow of the substance is what? Christ. In his death, in his resurrection. This means that you actually, you are no longer bound to a religious Sabbath observance. 
You are no longer bound to an obedience-based religion that says, if I do this, God will bless me. You are now bound to Christ because of his death and his resurrection, because of the gospel. Practically speaking, let's, let's be really practical here for a moment. This means that instead of remembering the last day of the week, many Christians remember the Sabbath on the Lord's Day. The Sabbath technically is on Saturday. So all of those who worshiped last night, they got it wrong. And all of you that are here right now, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you on the Sabbath? No, Christians, historically, because of the resurrection of Christ on the first day of week, and because of the freedom of no longer being bound to a religious Sabbath observance, Christians now, many, most in fact, they worship on what's called the Lord's Day. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. I love this. Because not only does it teach us that this, the, the freedom of, of gathering on the Lord's Day now instead of a Saturday, but now a Sunday obs- observance, but it also teaches that the preacher can preach until midnight. <laughs> so I hope you brought a snack. We're going to finish the Ten Commandments today, all right? <laughs> the Lord's Day. John, in his, in his vision of, in the book of Revelation, John chapter 1, says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice and a trumpet. Historically, from the very beginning of the church in the New Testament, Christians have, they've shifted their date of worship, not to Saturday, but to Sunday. And so now you're saying, oh, wait, wait, we're the ones that write, and those people last night, they're the ones that have it wrong, right? No, no. See, instead of judging, instead of judging the Sabbath practices of others, we all show grace. Look with me. Uh, Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read verse 5 and I'm going to read verse 10. They bridge together. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. One person thinks that we should worship on Saturdays. One person thinks that we should worship on Sunday. Let, let both of you be fully convinced in your mind. You, you should think through this, and you should, you should do according to what your mind and your conscience leads you. Verse 10, but, but why do you pass judgment on your brother who worships on a different day than you? Or why do you despise your brother who worships on a different day than you? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Here's what it says. You should, you should be gracious to those who have a different Sabbath conviction than you. You shouldn't judge them. You shouldn't judge them and you should not despise them. Actually, the, the, what really is elevated here is, is actually you should have a red flag go on in the back of your mind when someone says you have to worship on this day. When someone says this has to be the way it works. Oh, if you're not doing it on Saturday, God's not accepting your worship. If you're not gathered on the Lord's day, you're really not pleasing God. No, that, that's actually the opposite of what the Scripture teaches. It teaches that you're free. And in that, you're free to show grace to those who might disagree with you. So let's be even more practical, not just about the when, and not just about how to treat others that disagree with us, but let's really talk about the heart. Let's talk about the very heart of this. 
Because some people, instead of being legalistic about it, this is the day you have to worship, some people, they, they, they kind of be, the word's licentious. They, they take license. They say, well, I, I guess that means we don't really have to have a day of worship at all. So, so I can just go watch the game every Sunday. Oh, this is great. Best sermon ever, Mike. You'll never see me again, right? Like, let's talk about the heart of the matter. Because what this is really showing us is that instead of saying now, I have to Sabbath, when you have trusted in Christ, instead of saying I have to, have to Sabbath, here's what now we do. We say, I get to Sabbath. Instead of saying, I have to do this so I can earn God's approval, we say, I have been given the grace of Jesus through his death and resurrection, and now I get to Sabbath. Now I get to come to this moment where I stop. I come to this moment where I stop completely. And what I do with my mind in this moment is of the utmost importance. Because sure, I can, I can let my mind be focused on my, my entertainment. But that's not really Sabbath. And sure, I can let my mind be focused on all of the things, all of the chores I need to do. In fact, stopping for me might be going and mowing the lawn and, and fixing the cabinet. And all. No, no, that's not really Sabbath. When you Sabbath, you get to stop. And you get to remember everything God has done. In fact, would you do that with me right now? I know some of you are taking notes. Would you just set your pencils down? So set your, set your, your, your notes down, set your Bible down. I want you to, to sit, just completely rest. I want you to put your arms, let your arms hang down. I, I want you to not even do the work of holding your arms up. If you can even scoot down a little bit. I, I think I got the best chair in the house, by the way. But yeah, just, just, just really just completely stop. Just be completely restful. And in this restfulness, if you want, you can close your eyes. And I just want you to take a moment right now and behold the wondrous works of God. Think about the one who made all things. He, he, he's created the most distant star that you're barely able to see with the most powerful magnoscope. He, he created our solar system. He created the earth, earth with, with the perfect environment for life to thrive. He made the mountains and the sea. He made the deserts, the snow-capped peaks. And every single creature that flies or that swims or that roams the face of the earth, all of the vegetation, all of the greatest trees to the tiniest weed, all of this is from his creative hand, and he made you. In his image. He knew you before he even made you. Before the foundation of the world, he had you in his mind. And not only did he make you, but he loves you. He loves you with a love that is, is difficult to fully imagine. It was out of this great love that he sent his son Jesus to, to pay the ultimate price for your sin, 
He, he redeemed and rescued you through the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the work of Christ, you have been adopted. You've been made new. You've been washed clean. You've been given purpose. You've been given hope. He's poured his spirit to dwell and live within you so that now you are never alone. Never alone. He made this thing called the church a brand new creation where you get to gather with, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And he did all of this to reveal who he is. Now, if you want to open your eyes up for just a moment, Sabbath is the response to this. When we stop and we remember, you know what the next step is? The next step is, is it's got to be to stand. In fact, why don't you stand with me right now? When we stop and we recount all of the wondrous works of God, it leads us to rise, and maybe even, you don't have to, but maybe even just lift your hands, and let's pray, thanking God for all that He has done, for all that He is. Heavenly Father, we come to You right now, and we come desiring to have the right heart, God, we don't come to this moment saying we have to worship you. We don't come to this moment looking at a burden or a chore. Instead, we come to this moment gathered with your people, and we praise you for all your wondrous deeds. For creation, for mankind, for salvation, and for the eternity that you have prepared for us where we will live forever in the joy and in the peace and in the presence of our God. Lord, we come to you desiring to, to praise you and to honor you and to glorify you and magnify you because you are worthy of all praise and honor. And we pray this all in the great name of Jesus. Amen.